There are 574 tribal nations represented across the United States. They each have their own cultural richness, way of living, and customs. They also have health disparities and trouble with the acquisition of resources. Tribal Health, the podcast, wants to shed light on them and bring solutions available to improve access for tribal and indigenous communities. And now your hosts, Melody Lewis, Mario Trujillo, and Morgan Haynes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tribal Health, the podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts, Melody Lewis, and I have our co-hosts, Mario Trujillo and Morgan Haynes. And today's guests we have is Zephra Fuller, who is the Director of Technical Assistance. Hey, Zep. Welcome. Hi, everybody. It's so great to be here. I'm so honored and privileged to just spend some time with you guys this afternoon. So, yay. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Good. It's finally good to connect. Yeah, absolutely. I I know Melody's has Melody has been reaching out to me to do this and I've kept having to put it, you know, back and back and back. And finally we were able to connect. And I'm just so happy to be sharing what I know and learning from you guys as well. So I'm excited. Zeb, I'm like so pumped to have you as a guest because I think everybody needs to know one about your work and two, just like how awesome you are as an Indigenous woman. Oh. And we, well, how we're going to start out here is like we always do like introduction to the community and to the culture. So can you tell us about your community and anything you want us to know about it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I had thought about this question and was just trying to think about all of the communities I'm a part of. And I realized that there are some newer ones since the pandemic had started. So I really feel like that's a plus if we can look at the pandemic in a positive light. It's, you know, getting out of my usual space. But I definitely identify with the Diné community, you know, being a Navajo woman from northern Arizona will always identify as just being a powerful indigenous woman. And my community is a very small community on the reservation. We're not even on the map. Uh, it's called a tiny, tiny community called White Post. And it is near Shanto, Arizona, um, which I think that's on the map. Um, but I identify with that also being my community in terms of locale, but also people. I also do identify with the urban Indian community, you know, having been living here in Phoenix since 2006. I also would identify as being a part of the health professions community as well. I think just having great networks um, of people, a great network of people just like you guys, as well as the other you know, friends that I do have. It's just nice to know that everybody's making a difference. Everybody's doing their part to keep our community safe and healthy. And of course, I do identify my highest esteemed communities being a daughter, a sister and an auntie to my nephews and nieces as well. And then my stress, or I should say self-care community would be my hiking and running community as well. And then last but not least, uh, what we'll talk about here later on would be being an IHS healthcare utilizer of care as well. So not only being somebody who utilizes services, but also works to change and improve those services as well. Oh my God. I was going to say, I love, I, I identify with you. This is amazing. <laughs> I love your connection to people and that backstory. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. So, like, all in all, you're a queen. Uh, I'm hoping to be, you know, or as no, a... girl, you already are. That's amazing. You have a lot of communities. That's super important. Yeah, thank you. 
I think we could just drop the mic right here and just be like, right. thank you for the podcast today. End of podcast. End of podcast. <laughs> I loved how you broke it down like that because, uh, yeah, we think of community sometimes in a very like direct way, but you can like you literally gave us like the whole holistic worldview of yourself. Yeah. So I, I dig it. Like this to make me who I am. So and I think you can't separate these out as much as folks want to say, you know, keep your personal life out of work. Sometimes that's true, but I think to get the buy-in, you have to identify with your staff, with the community as well. So I think all of these are interrelated, um, but just trying to stratify down what, you know, is serving you and what's not, that's been beneficial for me, especially the self-care. One of my mentors always tells me, you come first, you can't do the work unless you're healthy enough to do it. So I think that's been beneficial. Can we talk about that for a second? Because like what I think you just described was a cultural asset of how we identify as Indigenous people. So you want to talk a little bit about that cultural aspect and, you know, the importance to the community? Yeah, I think that's really been more apparent in our in this day and age with the pandemic, um, as we've kind of seen the community get very divisive in, you know, those who want the vaccine and those who don't want it, those who voted for a particular person and didn't, you know, our political leanings. And I think for us, um, you know, we have the highest vaccination rates of any ethnicity or race in the in the United States. And so for us, I think that really does come down to having that sense of value and community, that cultural element of protecting not just yourself, but your elders, your community. And not even the people who live immediately around you, but those who maybe live in other states that also identify as indigenous. And I think it's just a whole web of why I do what I do is to keep others safe and to share that value of being kind, finding appreciation in family and community friends, having that sense of belonging, and also just being a servant leader in your communities. And if you can be that advocate and have that community love. I think those are important traits as an indigenous woman that I so greatly appreciate that we have innately. Oh my gosh, goosebumps. (laughs) I'm inspired. I have a question for you, Zep. What has that journey been like for you? You talked about not even, or growing up on a place that isn't even technically on a map, and now you've branched out and grown into a, a new space that you now identify with as well. Can you talk a little bit about that journey for you personally and what that has has looked like? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in the little um, town of White Post and live on the Neva Reservation, of course, all my um, adolescent years. I went to school at Monument Valley High School, and so a lot of my formative years came from that time frame. And my mom had passed away just I was about to turn 16 from breast cancer. And so for me, it was a really tough moment in my life. But I think that sense of community really was formed then. Um, when she had passed away, she'd been a huge community member and had a lot of involvement with our sports programs at Monument Valley High School. And a lot of our community members identified with her. And I think her chicken and ch- green chili chicken enchiladas are still famous to this day. <laughs> and so yes. <laughs> when she had passed away, we actually had won the state championship in uh, girls basketball that year. My entire team had um, dedicated that win to her and all the community members came through and just like, brought us like casseroles, you know, cookies and people that I didn't even know. And, you know, the school sent flowers. It was just at that aha moment that I'd had. And I was just really blown away by that communal feel. And I think that's where the community identity was built for me. And then, of course, leaving home, 
I had gone to U of A for a summer uh, med school program uh, my junior year in high school. About that same time, she had passed away. So for me, it was like learning how to be a young woman without having a motherly figure in my life. And I, you know, was raised by two men, my dad and my brother. And so learning to be an indigenous woman as well, learning to be that from two males, I cannot tell you how amazing to me that is. It, I wasn't raised in that traditional home of, you know, the, the women raised, wrote, like raised me. Um, I did have my, you know, aunties, my nollies, my grandparents, um, my sisters as well. But those two, I give them a lot of credit for forming me into the person that I am today. And kind of fast forward, I think that carried with me through college. And, you know, by no means was I, you know, the the best angel kid. Um, but I, it was like trial and error. You know, you know what mistakes to make. You, you think you're, you learn your lessons through your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really that time for me as an undergraduate going to NAU, you know, just trying to think through what it was that I had wanted to do. And that's when I continued my trek into healthcare. And I was thinking through, you know, what areas that I wanted to help with at that time. And my sights were set on becoming a physician. And I started to intern over at a a local IHS clinic near us. And I just started to kind of see the kind of care that was being provided. And of course, back then we were doing a lot with less. And it just really was trying to figure out where could I fit in in this community. And that really created the track for my healthcare journey, um, but also as a person. And then I knew immediately, like I wasn't sure if being a physician was something for me. And so I decided to take a year off after undergrad and really try and see if this was the place for me. Um, One of my cousins had told me, take a year off if you can. You know, my advice to those graduating college would be take a year off, work in the profession you want to be in and truly see if that's the area that you want to go into. Because a lot of the times people go right into their under, I'm sorry, their graduate degree and are like, why did I do this? I just wasted, you know, a year trying to figure this out. But I think for me, that's kind of where that transition began into, I don't want to work in a healthcare center. I want to run one. And so since then, for me, that's been my area of expertise. And so you're just kind of getting into that area of how can you provide quality services to a population that so greatly deserves and needs it? And I think for me, just really thinking about how to do that. And when the pandemic hit, I really started to think about how could I, as a non-clinician, be a part of the answer or the solution to, you know, bridging resources to our urban Indians. And that's kind of my forte. And so I decided to make a career transition from a quality improvement or quality healthcare consultant to actually the current role that I'm in now and trying to make that direct impact. And so that's kind of been here. But the pandemic, I think, really, really lit a fire, I would say, under me that said, don't just be a talker, like be a doer. And it really was one of those moments of epiphany of how can I make my biggest impact? You know, how can I leave a legacy and make the Indian healthcare world a better place? Wow. I think like one, a few things that like popped out to me when you were, when you were talking was like that sense of belonging, that innate feeling that we feel as Indigenous people to be like very community centric is like a real thing, right? Like everything since you started this conversation up until now just like it goes back to what you were saying. It's like, it can't be separate. It's not a separate thing. There's no way we could do that, right? So every decision we make in our life comes from that place. I was thinking about that too, Melody, with, I mean, Zebra, the way that you discern through your life and 
think through these huge moments, but it really started in your core in that little town that's not on the map. You learned how to discern your heart, which is incredible in the sense of you're discerning each step very thoughtfully, and then you're here now and that's not your stopping point. And like you said, a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times people come into facilities like this, whether it be healthcare, indigenous or not, And they come in with the goal to fix and bring in their agenda or, hey, I made this template. Here you go. I get it. But (laughs) you come in and you say, all right, we're doing it together. We're, We're caring for each other and you're seeing humans. And that, I mean, truly inspiring for me as I, I mean, I'm in my mid 20s trying to figure out life. But the way that you discern through each portion of your life is incredible because it's towards the broader goal of humanity. So, I mean, thank you for sharing. Oh my gosh, you guys are like giving me, you guys are totally like gassing me up here. But uh, one of the most important foundations for me is as a, you know, in my current position and even the ones that I've held prior to this, I've really learned that you can't go into anybody's personal life or even a business relationship or an organization. And, you know, your task is to help them. You can't come in saying, here you go. Here's your, here are some suggestions. The first question is, how can I help? And for me, that's what I apply that to is understanding how can I help you? You know, where can I be of service? And then seeing where where that's coming from, because, you know, rapport and trust that needs to be established. And that really takes time. And so for me, I think and it's taken a long time again, by no means was I an angel, you know, a beacon, if you will. I learned (laughs) my lesson. I used to be a bad kid. You know, my my dad will tell you, sorry, dad, my dad and brother will tell you, I know I wasn't an easy child, but. I think those mistakes were were needed for sure. We learn from them. We get back up. Yeah, hey, we've exactly. all been there with you. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think just thinking about that too. You know, my dad always came with me with how can I help. And I think now that I'm ruminating on it, it that's where I picked it up from. He never came saying you need to do this or you need to do that. And so it made me more open and receptive to his help and even asking for help as well. Cause I think that's the other thing is asking for it and being comfortable enough to say, I need your help. Sephra, I love the way that you talk about not only your foundational history of the core of who you are, but your legacy and the intention you're approaching this space and what you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to truly tap into identifying what you wanted your legacy to be? Because I think Sometimes, you know, a lot of people in healthcare end up in healthcare with the intent to do good and um, treat others well. But how do you really define your legacy and, and what's the power for you as an Indigenous woman in your legacy? Gosh, that's such a great question. And one that I think that we've been discussing more recently, or I've been discussing more recently, is even though you want to be everything to everybody, you can't. And it's really taken so much in my career to identify that again you know understanding my experience with indian healthcare seeing my relatives experience with indian healthcare and then knowing that i can help you know try and change initiatives and contribute to legislation at the very top of where healthcare does come from i think that's really been a newer component for me and just really trying to think through not like what I need, but what my community members need and what all Natives need, not just urbans, but rural folks too. And so for me, it's really been about thinking 
how can we implement the newer wins that we've had this year legislatively? And then thinking about forecasting, you know, long COVID's coming. We know everybody's been pumping dollars, you know, COVID dollars into facilities, trying to think through what is sustainable. What is it that we can try and build now that is longer term? And when I think about legacy, it's that understanding right now, some of our need is getting folks back into care, preventative maintenance, preventative care, focusing more on the prevention. How do you build programs that have, you know, fitness centers to help prevent and stave off diabetes or, you know, good um, sexual health, um, really, truly getting the care that folks need. And I think for me, my legacy is just that like building programs and building capacity within organizations that do have, you know, services such as that, but how do you improve it to where they continue to increase their population numbers, their diabetes, you know, A1C levels, they're no longer over like five, you know, they're they're manageable, staying within that city time frame. And the thing for me is getting an opportunity to work with other history makers um, and, you know, some folks are like, oh, my gosh, Kim Kardashian. Oh, my gosh, you know, LeBron James. <laughs> and for me, I'm more of like, oh, my gosh, you know, Walter Marillo from Native Health. Oh, my gosh, Sonia Titnowski <laughs> yes. from Indian Health Center of Santa Clara Valley. You know, those are like my celebrities. And if my legacy can be as much as they built theirs, um, I would be so pleased, even just half. Um, so my legacy is just trying to help where I can. And really try and continue on the great work and contribute to all that's already been done. And then if there are areas that I can help improve, really try and help improve those areas to continue for the next uh, generations to come. I have like a million thoughts. My brain, when you're talking, like it's just, <laughs> if you're looking at my face right now, it's just like, whoa, <laughs> it's like <laughs> contemplating right now. So I, I just want to make a point really quick because, you know, this point, like the whole reason why we, you know, started this podcast was to highlight Indigenous workers like yourself, Indigenous women like yourself doing the work, but also to create the awareness about tribal communities. There's 574 nations. You've heard that talk about urban and rural. And when we're talking about urban natives and rural natives, like it really is just talking about the diversity of us as Indigenous communities and the access to resources that we may or may not have depending on where we're located, right? And so I think that's very important to point out that, you know, every tribal nation is different. Every single one of them has different communities, different cultural upbringing. I mean, that's why we start off with talking about our communities, like what community are Mm -hmm. you from, you know, and tell us more about that. I think that's critical. And you started to mention some of the challenges that we are currently facing and started suggesting some solutions. Uh, Is there anything else that you wanted to share about maybe that, the challenges, the impact of Indigenous communities uh, through your work? Yeah, definitely. So I know for the work that I do, we work primarily with urban Indian organizations and kudos to all of the healthcare workers, especially urban Indian organizations, because they've been doing a lot with less prior to the pandemic, and now they're doing a lot with less, less, less. And so for them, I know that a lot of the work has been around creating cultural programming Um, since the pandemic, since we had to isolate and stay away from each other. I really feel like that infused this need to get connected to your culture and get connected to each other. And so everybody flocked, you know, to Zoom to try and create that virtual engagement. And so for us, we kept trying to think through how do I make this engaging for them to still connect virtually? And so creating those cultural programs where 
you know, you have an activity paired with a cultural teaching or, you know, having other community members actually be the speakers versus us trying to talk to them, I think really has been a need and also a solution as well. So you've been finding a need and then trying to fill it with a community solution rather than us trying to come in to say, here's what should happen. The other thing, too, was getting youth involved. Um, I think this was a good year for us to really tap into youth councils, into um, youth who saw what was happening in the pandemic. I mean, we're hearing reports about university public health programs increasing their enrollment because everybody was trying to figure out how to help. So that's another, you know, forecasted area. And so we can build and nurture future public health, indigenous public health workers. I think the world would be a better place, especially because we have that innate community sense that I've mentioned before. I think there's also some repairing of the community that needs to be done because of that divisiveness that has occurred. So that true healing through trauma, understanding that there will be COVID-19 PTSD and understanding that we really do need each other and trying to find out good ways to cope with isolation. Um, I think it's really one of those next uh, efforts to, to focus on. And then, of course, uh, compassion fatigue and mental health of, of staff. Um, and we've all heard about the, what is it, the great resignation that's been occurring, too. I think that's also another area of focus that'll be coming up and is really apparent to our current needs right now and things that we're seeing. So, you know, how do you recruit a good candidate and how do you sustain that candidate as well? And I think care coordination, we've also talked about, you know, long COVID as being, you know, the further down the road impact of chronic care. And so trying to think about what that'll look like, will care change? We've seen telehealth also be a good tool for patient care and trying to be innovative. But as we know, a lot of our community members don't have internet access or, you know, just on their phone and they're trying to decide, well, can I make my internet payment or do I, can I use it just to buy groceries and figure that out later? And that's really contributed to that equity discussion as well for how can we get Native Americans up to the table as well. So it's just mind blowing about everything that needs to happen. And of course, my personal favorite is the care coordination through electronic health records. So understanding how we can leverage state health information exchanges and really truly coordinate care between an IHS hospital and maybe a non-IHS provider. And then that leads to patient education. You know, how can you be an advocate for yourself? And also getting the providers to understand that it's not us deciding. We need that family approach and that family decision making about the patient as well. So there's a lot of need and also some great solutions that I've seen from our urban Indian organizations that have really come forward. Amazing. I mean, you addressed everything. And in Melody, we've just been in these internal meetings and I'm like, what can Zebra just hang out with us? <laughs> How I would love to. This is exact. You are so on. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, the work you guys do is amazing, too. I mean, we definitely intersect for sure, you know, with tribal healthcare. So I appreciate all that you guys do. I do think it's amazing the incredible um, opportunities that have come within or from COVID and looking at even from when I started in the tribal healthcare space about, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago to where it is now. I think COVID has fast tracked a lot of things. And I think it's also been a key highlighter of some of the the significant inequities. And if you look at who's been the most quick to respond and adopt change and, and to your point, serve as a community 
and connection within this pandemic, I think the tribal healthcare space or the tribal communities have led that. So it's a great example and it's it's leading a model that typically, you know, unfortunately tribal healthcare has been underfunded. They've had less or they there has been less mm-hmm. offered. So to yeah. see how beautiful <laughs> a lot of tribal communities have responded how well they've done. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think for tribal practices, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think for tribal practices. We did a little bit of work with some tribes, or I should say I did a little bit of work with some tribes, and I think it was really apparent to see the thoughtfulness that they put into patient education as well, knowing that the patient is very mobile. So getting care from, you know, an urban Indian center and then going back home to their tribal rural home, getting care from them too. And I think they've done all they can to try and really infuse both, I guess, coordination of care folks, um, really trying to create a good care plan that is doable. And I want to say maybe actionable for the patient and their family to also pitch in to help that patient get better. My mind is just overwhelmed. This is so (laughs) awesome. (laughs) It's such a gift and it's, it's really amazing to see such a powerful, amazing woman who's stepping into, I just see your your power and your ability to connect. Mm-hmm. And I can it's feel it. Cool. And it's so inspiring. I'm like, I'm very grateful. So thank you for this. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll have two questions, but is there anything else that you would like to share that anybody should know about Indigenous healthcare? Oh gosh, yes. Can we start another <laughs> 30 minutes? I'm kidding. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think advocacy. I think that is the number one thing is to get involved. Um, and if your urban local urban Indian organization, uh, definitely take a look to see where your local urban Indian organization is located. But get involved, get active, definitely speak up for the services that you need um, and also provide good feedback. It's just as valuable as the bad feedback for your provider team, provider care team, um, really trying to take ownership as well. I think understanding the way in which uh, urban Indian clinics as well as uh, Indian Health Service also operates, like understanding, you know, what what it means to get care at a non-IHS facility, understanding that insurance is still needed. You know, IHS is not an insurance. They are a service, a hospital. Um, so really trying to also supplement, you know, insurance in that way. Also trying to understand what it is that your community needs. And if it's not in the healthcare region at your local Indian centers, they also need a lot of help as well. And I know our Phoenix Indian Center has done just an amazing job at all the programs that they provide as well. So be a part of the work, you know, get outside, get moving. And even if it's just being a part of a running group or a hiking group, connect to each other. Uh, I know that for me, you know, being in my position, I'm all the way from home. And so when I see another Indigenous person, if I see another Navajo, you know, Hopi, Apache, I always get like the goosebumps and I get so excited because I'm like, hey, you're home, you know, like you're you're just like me. And so I think that identification for me also is just, it's a refresher. And for me, it like charges my battery pack up as well. Connection, connection. Yeah, exactly. So Zep, tell me, what is your favorite wrestling and use it in a sentence? My favorite wrestling that I appreciate and use often would be good one, you know, G O O T. 
one good one and so the way that I use that usually is when somebody makes a joke or uh if somebody's like yeah we should, I'll take a break and stretch you know for at least like five minutes if my staff member uh, like offers that up then I'll put it into a chat hashtag good one and so now all of our staff members <laughs> are starting to see that as well so for me it's like that's a good one <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's amazing I could relate. <laughs> I love it. Good one. That was a good one right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's so much. I'm still just digesting um, all of this. So thank you, Zephyr. I feel like you are a change agent in this space with a lot of grace and clear direction. And your legacy is going to be huge. And I can't wait to watch you shine and continue to hopefully get to work with you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I appreciate everybody's help on this and even the invitation. You guys have done so many amazing things. Melody has informed me, briefed me on all the work that you all do too. And it's such innovative thoughts and ideas that you guys have put into play. And I'm just so excited to be able to network with you all and maybe potentially idea share and brainstorm. I know Indian country needs a lot of thought leaders and movers and shakers as well. So I'm excited to be a part of this. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining. We're super grateful for you. And I I think I'm speaking for everyone. I think we should have a series with you because we didn't get enough of this. So (laughs) let us know your availability. And I think we should meet a couple (laughs) times a week. (laughs) You guys are great. Well, awesome. I guess that includes our episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. So thank you, everybody, for joining, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For the show notes, resources, and more, please visit podcast tribalhealth.com. If you want to learn more about how tribal health can be a solution to health disparities, please visit us at www.tribalhealth.com.